Please turn with me this morning, if you would, to Matthew chapter 7. Matthew chapter 7. Today we're starting a new sermon series called uh, Misquoted, Twisting the Bible Out of Context. Uh, this will be a six-week sermon series exploring misunderstood and popular misquoted Bible verses. Um, our prayer at the end of this sermon series is to help all of us gain a deeper appreciation for expository preaching and to learn how to properly read and apply the Bible. Today we're going to be exploring Matthew chapter 7 verse 1, which says, Judge not that you be not judged. So the title of my sermon this morning is Jesus teaching on judging people. So we'll be reading from verse 1 to verse 6. If you would stand with me um, out of respect for God's word this morning, uh, we will read Matthew chapter 7, verse 1 to verse 6. Judge not that you be not judged. For with the judgment you pronounce, you will be judged. And with the measure you use it, it will be measured to you. So why do you see the speck that is in your brother's eye? Or how... Sorry, but do not notice the log that is in your own eye. Or how can you say to your brother, let me take the speck out of your eye, when there is a log in your own eye? You hypocrite! First take the log out of your own eye, and then you will see clearly to take the speck out of your brother's eye. Do not give dogs what is holy, and do not throw your pearls before pigs, lest they trample them underfoot and turn to attack you. Dear Lord, we ask for your help today as we look at this very controversial uh, passage of Scripture. We pray, Father, that you would help me to explain these verses in a way that we would have understanding to rightly divide your word today. I pray that the Spirit would teach through me, but also, Lord, that he would open our ears and open our eyes and open our hearts to the, to the word today, that we would all respond in a way that would give honor and glory to you today. So we pray for your help, Lord. May we not just go through the motions today. May this not just be a lecture that's filling our minds with information. But we pray that your word would convict us. Your word would conform us more into the image of your dear son. So we pray today for your help. And we ask this prayer in Jesus' name. Amen. Please be seated. So maybe you've heard it said that text taken out of context makes it a pretext, and usually a false one at that. So when we take a text from the Bible out of their context, we, we really do strip the meaning of the verses, and we, we give them a different, completely, usually a wrong meaning. And when we want to take out or interpret Scripture properly, we need to read the entire paragraph. We need to read the entire chapter. We need to sometimes read the entire book to understand that one verse that we may not be able to on its own. I said on Friday when we met for the potluck, remember that Satan quoted verses from the Bible, but he didn't interpret these verses properly. 
If we're going to read a, a single verse on its own, maybe on Facebook, maybe on somebody's T-shirt or on social media some, somewhere, let's remember to see the context. There is a context around just a, a single verse. We need to be able to interpret the passage correctly. We need to read the, the passage around this particular verse. Paul tells Timothy, his son in the faith, and his disciple in 2 Timothy 2.15, which we read earlier on, do your best to present yourself to God as one approved, a worker who has no need to be ashamed. And then he says, rightly handling the word of truth. Rightly handling the word of truth. And we cannot take one verse from the Bible and create a doctrine out of it that is not there. We cannot take one verse out of the Bible to support an argument that we may be having with our spouse that is misinterpreting the Scriptures. That's what Satan has done, and he continues to do today. And that's how cults are started. The result is the Bible verses are misapplied and used often in a way that hurts people, harms them. And in 2 Timothy there, when Paul says to his protege, he says, handle the word of truth. Rightly handle the word of truth. And the Greek word he, he uses there is ortho, ortho to mounta. Ortho to mounta. And ortho means right. It means proper. And to mounta means to cut. So we are properly cutting the word here, properly dividing the word here. Success, to successfully handle the word of God, we need, to, we need to cut it properly. We need to divide it correctly. Uh, this is a farming imagery. This is not so much a, a military or um, any other type of imagery. It's a farming imagery that, that Paul is giving. When a, when a farmer in the field wanted to, to plow the field, he wanted to cut the soil, he needed to do it straight. He needed to make sure that the, the furrows that he was were digging could be straight so that the seeds could be planted there. And he would often take an object in the distance and he would set his eyes on that object and he would, he would go straight to that object so that he could, he could have straight furrows to cut it straight. And that's what Paul is saying to us. We need to be able to cut the Word of God properly, not in a way that is, that is going here and there and not able to be understood when we study the Word of God, we are trying to understand what the author's intention was. What the author has said, and not allow our own opinions or even our own views to cloud the, the meaning of what the, the author has written. When we are diligent to cut straight or to rightly divide the Word of truth, we can understand what has been communicated in God's Word. And we can be equipped, well-equipped for what God would have us to do and to understand the Scriptures so that we can obey them according to God's will. Let me show you what I mean this morning as we look at our first verse in Matthew chapter 7, verse 1, which says, Judge not that you be not judged. Now, at first glance, and 
looking, without looking at the context, it seems to be saying not to judge others because if we do, God will judge us. So like I said earlier, Satan quotes the Bible, but he doesn't interpret the Scriptures properly. Uh, Tupac, who you may know, he was a famous American rapper. He was murdered in a drive-by shooting in Las Vegas in 1995. He wrote a song called, Only God Can Judge Me. Um, Miley Cyrus is also famous for a line in one of her songs which says, Remember, only God can judge us. Now, this phrase has obviously, in Matthew 7 verse 1, become very popular. Popular on different social media um, platforms. People have even tattooed this verse on themselves, on their bodies. Because it's something that they can use to justify their sinful behavior, isn't it? Um, when Christians often speak out against sin or against something that is, that is wrong, which often involves confronting somebody's sin, or even when we try to share the gospel with somebody, people often respond, um, secular people often respond with this defense. Don't judge me. It's in the Bible. Only God can judge me. Who are you to, to judge me? Just ignore my sin. And what people usually mean when they say that is, don't disagree with me. Don't disagree with what I am I'm doing. Or don't have a negative opinion about what I'm doing. Or I know what I have done. Or I know what I'm about to do is wrong. But I'm going to do it anyway. And I don't want to hear all the reasons that it's a bad idea. Don't judge me. Well, let's see what the scriptures really mean from this passage. And the first thing we need to be doing is looking at the context. So my first point is the context this morning. And we see that in chapter 6. And I'll show you those verses. So please take your Bibles and look with me at chapter 6. Let's read the passage in its context as we always should, which means looking at the verses before and the verses after. So Jesus says in Matthew chapter 6, look at verse 2 to verse 6 in your Bibles. He says, Thus when you give to the needy, sound no trumpet before you as the hypocrites do in the synagogues and in the streets, that they may be praised by others. Truly I say to you, they have received their reward. But when you give to the needy, do not let your left hand know what your right hand is doing, so that your giving may be in secret. And your Father who sees in secret will reward you. Verse 5, and when you pray, you must not be like the hypocrites, for they love to stand and pray in the synagogues and at the streets, that they may be seen by others. So truly I say to you, they have received their reward. But when you pray, go into the room and shut the door and pray to your Father who is in secret, and your Father who sees in secret will reward you. Look at Matthew 6, verse 16. Skip down to verse 16. And when you fast... Do not look gloomy like the hypocrites, for they disfigure their faces that their fasting may be seen by others. Truly, I say to you, they have received their reward. But when you fast, anoint your head and wash your face. Notice how many times the word hypocrite has come up here, okay? It keeps coming up. And now we arrive at our text in Matthew chapter 7, verse 1. Judge not that you be not judged. 
For with the judgment you pronounce, you will be judged, and with the measure you use it, it will be measured to you. Why do you see the speck that is in your brother's eye, but do not notice the log that is in your own eye? Or how can you say to your brother, let me take the speck out of your eye when there is the log in your own eye? So let me give you some background so that we can understand what Jesus' point is here. In Matthew chapter 5 to Matthew chapter 7, Jesus is speaking these words in the, in the midst of community, Christian community, and in the context of his followers. So this passage from Matthew 5 to 7 is commonly called the Sermon on the Mount. And the Sermon on the Mount is the most famous sermon that Jesus has ever given. But it is a sermon addressed to his followers, not unbelievers, Christians. It's a sermon on how to live life that is dedicated to God and pleasing God. It's a life that is a message about being free from hypocrisy. It's a message about love and grace, about wisdom and discernment. In other words, these verses are to show us how it is we are to relate to others in the Christian community, namely our brothers and our sisters in Christ. So that's the context. Let me go to my second point, which we will see in verse 1 and verse 2, the meaning. The meaning of this passage. Jesus does not say, don't judge. Let me make that clear, okay? Jesus is not speaking these words. He's not saying, don't judge. What he is saying is, don't be a hypocrite. He's saying, don't be a hypocrite by judging people by a different standard than what you yourself hold to. What he's saying is, don't be like the people, the, the hypocrites that we heard of earlier in the previous passage who, who had a double standard of behavior. What he's saying is, don't judge, judge hypocritically. He's saying, judge in a righteous way, not in a hypocritical way. Okay? That's what he means in Matthew chapter 7, verse 1. Jesus does not mean by judge not that we refrain from using our, our, our brains, our minds, our intellect, and that we just close our eyes and hope for the best. That's not what Jesus means. Jesus does not mean that we mustn't be discerning in our relationships with other people. He's not telling us to turn a blind eye to, to sin that is in our community, especially within the church. The most disturbing thing, I think, about the way that this passage is, is misquoted is that this phrase is usually used to excuse the exact type of behavior that needs to be confronted, that needs to be judged. And we are called to be discerning when sin is involved. We are called to call sin, sin. And not to pretend it's not around us when it really is. The elephant in the room that nobody wants to talk about, that everybody can see, that everybody ignores. We know this because Jesus loves the truth and he hates hypocrisy. And to deny sin when it is present would be hypocritical. It would be hypocritical. If we are to use our God-given discernment 
and our ability to see things and people critically, what exactly then is Jesus forbidding in this passage? Well, John chapter 7, verse 24 says, Do not judge by appearances, but judge with right judgment. With right judgment. So Jesus does endorse certain ways or certain types of criticism and discerning spirit. But he's forbidding being super hypercritical or even hypocritical. He's forbidding setting ourselves up as, as the judge with our own standards. There's a difference between analyzing and discerning versus thinking you're the person's judge. Only God is the judge at the end of the day, not us. And so when we, we come across a Christian brother or a sister who, who is involved in some serious sin, we do have the responsibility to go to them in love, not in a hypocritical way, and speak to them about the issues that they may be struggling with, about their conduct. This is not passing judgment, but it's, it's caring about our brothers and sisters in Christ enough to intercede in that particular situation. So the hypercritical person, he, he goes around looking for faults and, and sins. And then when they find one, he, they set themselves up as the judge. And, and they're very severe on that person and in their, in their verdict. This person is a, is a fault finder. He's a hypocritical fault finder. Spiritual police. Much like the, the Pharisees that Jesus warned us about. They were always, always critical about other people never looking at their own hearts, always looking at others, pointing out their mistakes and their sins. And by their actions, they have claimed to, to be very proficient as the judge. And the problem is even when their all-knowing verdict, they don't know all the details. They don't know a person's motive. We don't know a person's motive at the end of the day. Only God can see inside somebody's heart. And here's really the thrust of what, of what Jesus is saying. In, in Romans 14 verse 4, the scriptures say, Who are you to pass judgment on the servant of another? It is before his own master that he stands or falls. And he will be upheld for the Lord, for the Lord is able to make him stand. In Romans 2 verse 1, it says, Therefore you have no excuse, O man, every one of you who judges. For in passing judgment on another, you condemn yourself, because you judge and practice the very same things. Hypocritical judgment. Not only are we to judge, are we not to judge in a, in a hypocritical or hypercritical way, but we need to remember that we all will be judged one day. We all will stand before God and give an account of the, the sins that we hide in our hearts. We are not above God's standard. We don't set the standard. It is God's standards which we bow to. This leads to my last point. We see the conclusion here in verse 3 to 6. Look at verse 3 there in your Bibles. Read with me. It says, why do you see the speck that is in your brother's eye, but do not notice the log that is in your own eye? Look at verse 4. 
Or how can you say to your brother, let me take the speck out of your eye when there is the log in your own eye? Verse 5, you hypocrite. There's the word again. You hypocrite. First take the log out of your own eye, and then you will see clearly to take the speck out of your brother's eye. So Jesus has already multiple times referred to the Pharisees as, as hypocrites. And they were more concerned with what people thought of them rather than of what God thought of them. They were one person on the outside, but on the inside they were completely different. And far too often we, we can act like the, the Pharisees. So easy to spot the faults of other people rather than looking at the sins in our, in our own hearts. And the Lord cautions us not to be hypocritical towards our Christian brothers and sisters. And the parable here that, that Jesus gives us, this, this story, it's, it's called a, a hyperbolic. It's an exaggeration to make a point. You can almost picture this, this log or this tree coming out of somebody's eye, and, and he's trying to... He's, he's trying to pull out the little speck in somebody else's eye. It's just, it's hyperbolic language here. And we so often are quick to point out other people's faults when, in fact, we're quick to overlook the bigger faults that are, are in our own eyes. Another thing we can do is exaggerate the faults of others while minimizing ours. Something people like to do is gossip about other people's faults and minimize our own. Jesus is not telling us that we can't point out someone's sin. He's not saying that. Or we can't address them one-on-one -on -one about something until our lives are perfect. And, and I think sometimes that's how this passage is misinterpreted. So I'm not perfect, therefore I have no... Um, no way that I can speak to other people about this. And that's not what Jesus is saying here. He is saying to not be overly critical. Now we need to consider our own sin as well. Notice with me there when Jesus is telling, well, what Jesus is telling us to do. He's not saying mind your own business. He's not saying judge your brother. Don't judge your brother and sister. He's saying the opposite here. He is telling us to remove this log out of our own eye before we take the speck out of somebody else's eye. This is, this is a command for, in two ways. He is telling us to look at that speck. He is telling us not to ignore that speck. But he's telling us how to do it, how we are to do it. He's telling us to be intentional. He's telling us to be purposeful in helping our fellow brothers and sisters grow as believers. And sometimes this involves judgment. Sometimes this requires removing this, this speck. And of course, the challenge is to also remove the plank from our own eyes. If, if we're going to do this in a way that is profitable, it has to be in a loving way, not as the hypocrites do. Now turn with me quickly into Matthew 18. I thought this was very relevant for us as a church. This is a verse that we even looked at last week at our members' meeting. Matthew 18, verse 15. 
It tells us if your brother sins against you, go and tell him his fault between you and him alone. And if he listens to you, you have gained your brother. It doesn't say ignore the sin. Go and confront the sin. Verse 16, if he's still not willing to listen, take one or two others along with you, that every charge may be established by the evidence of two or three witnesses. So it's not saying give up. It's saying take somebody who can intermediate and, and help you with the situation for them to be able to understand the seriousness of the sin. Then verse 17, if they still refuse to listen to you, then tell it to the church. And then number four, the fourth step there we see, if he refuses to listen even to the church, let him be to you as a Gentile and a tax collector. We spoke about Abdullah last week at our members meeting. And we called upon the church to look at step number three, how we as a church are to approach this man who we still consider a brother to repent of his sins. And this will determine, this will help us determine if he is a Christian or if he's not a Christian. If he is willing to repent or if he's not willing to repent. If he's not willing to repent of his sins, then we have to put him out the church and treat him as an unbeliever. And that's only going to happen if we follow this process. If we confront sin. If we ignore this, then we are the ones who are, who are being unloving. Christianity is based on community. A group of people called to, called to love each other properly, called to love the world properly, called to love God properly. We are called to exercise these relationships in a loving way for the good of, for the good of everybody, not in a selfish way. And this community requires it. Sometimes we make judgments on others, a judgment call on those that we love and those that we cherish. You know, I've said it before. If you saw your, your own child playing with a pair of scissors in the road, would you exercise your ability to judge and determine, or would you keep quiet and ignore your child? No, not if we love our child, not if we cherish their life. We would do everything we can to get them out the road and to take that pair of scissors away from them. And the same is true of Christians. You know, we are to exercise our ability to judge and determine with love and sincerity. With love and sincerity. Not in a hypocritical or hypercritical way. People often say, oh, I, I, I don't want to say anything. Let's just, let's just live in peace and let's just love everybody. Let's not talk about sin. No. That's not what the Bible says. When you find sin and you're not willing to talk about it and confront it and help that person turn from it, you are guilty of tolerating it, aren't you? You're guilty of tolerating it. You are not helping them. You are not loving them. You are, you are hating your brother and sister by keeping quiet. You know, it's love that confronts. You don't want your child to die. You love your child. Move out of the road for your own benefit. Stop doing that sin for your, for your own benefit. That sin is going to destroy you. It's going to hurt you. You can't keep quiet. 
It's hate that ignores the sin. It's hate that ignores the, the fault and lets a person continue to go on that path. You know, it's hate that doesn't warn the brother or sister, but it is love that comes alongside you know, in often difficult situations to help. This is the correct interpretation of, of Matthew chapter 7, verse 1. Jesus does not say, don't judge. He says, don't be a hypocrite. Don't judge people by a different standard than what you hold yourself to. Be discerning and use your judgment to help others to grow in their walk with the Lord. I think this is very relevant and helpful for us as a church at the moment. You know, we need to remember that the devil is our enemy who's walking around seeking whom he may devour. We are not each other's enemies. The devil is the enemy. And we need to recognize that and help each other see that and come alongside each other and help each other see that sin will destroy us. Let's not fall into the devil's trap by believing twisted and misquoted portions of Scripture. You know, Satan shows us that quoting out-of-context phrases and sentences that seem handy at the moment can be very dangerous in the long run. In this case of Matthew, it can be dangerous to the, the health and the purity of the church by not discerning sin. Hearing Matthew can be dangerous to our Christian relationships when we ignore sin. It can be dangerous to our own spiritual health when we're not willing to judge ourselves. And we're commanded to do that, aren't we? Every single month when we take communion, we are commanded to judge ourselves, to look at ourselves. Now, as an elder body, we... We are committed to expository preaching, which we believe to be the most faithful way of interpreting Scripture. This way of preaching presents the meaning and the intent of a biblical text. We know and we believe that faith comes from hearing and hearing through the Word of Christ. We don't want to tell you what, what, we, what we want the Scriptures to say. We want to tell you what the Scriptures really say. We don't want to twist the word of Christ. Faith comes from hearing not my words, but the words of Christ. And as preachers committed to expository preaching, our goal is not for you to, to say to us, Oh, Pastor, what a, what a great sermon. Oh, Rob, you're the best speaker ever. Our aim is rather to hear you say, Thank you for helping me better understand this passage. Well, now I understand who God is and what He requires from me. That, that is our goal when we stand behind the pulpit, when we study the Scriptures the whole week, so that you can better understand what God wants from you. Please don't get your theology from, from Instagram. Don't get your theology from Facebook. Let's rightly divide the word of truth. Now, our great desire... It's for us to be a healthy church with healthy relationships with the God of truth. 
And it means having a healthy relationship with the word of truth, isn't it? And our commitment to you as elders is to be faithfully, rightly handling the word of truth. And we will do whatever we can to interpret the Bible rightly so that we can worship God rightly. Worship the way that He prescribes us to worship Him, not in, in a way that we, that we want to, full of smoke and lighting and everything else that it tickles our ears and tickles our lusts. We worship God the way that He prescribes it in the Scriptures. And we can't do that unless we know the Scriptures, unless we rightly divide the Scriptures, isn't it? But can I ask you, this morning to consider making a commitment yourselves personally. At the beginning of this new year, commit to reading the Bible rightly. Not just one verse like you would like a fortune cookie. I encourage you to study the Word and, and learn the eternal truths that they present to all of us. Now, the Gospel of John tells us in in John chapter 15, verse 7, that studying the Bible will, will undergird the effectiveness of our prayers. In John 15, verse 11, it says that studying the Scriptures will, will give you eternal joy. John 15, verse 13, it says that reading the Bible will help us overcome sin. John chapter 16, verse 33, it says that reading the Scriptures will give us peace. Now, couples write love letters to each other all the time, don't they? Well, in my day, we used paper and pen. Nowadays, they use WhatsApp, I'm sure. Different ways, but the same principle. Writing love letters to each other. Because they want to hear flattering words of, of love from their, from their partner. But we need to remember, the Bible is God's love letter to us. The Bible is God's love letter to us. And if God's Holy Spirit lives in your heart today, doesn't it make sense that there should be a hunger inside of you to read His Word rightly? To read His Word to help your relationship with Him grow stronger in a way that honors Him, in a way that glorifies Him in your workplace, in your, in your home? Does reading the Bible feel like a blessing or a burden? I pray this morning that you would take time in just a minute to pray about your relationship with the Bible. Ask God to help you come to terms with, with that relationship. And as I said, this sermon series, I hope, would give you a greater desire for the Scriptures. As the deer pens for the waters, may our souls long after Him through the Scriptures. Remember, Jesus, who is both the Word and the truth, died that we might live for God, that we may be reconciled with God. So let us worship God rightly in obedience to His Word. Let's pray. Father, we thank You that You have given us Your Word it is a lamp unto our feet, a light unto our paths. We don't have to walk in darkness, fumbling around, 
falling on our faces, not knowing what pleases you, what doesn't please you. But sometimes, Lord, even with this light, we want to put it under a bush. We want to hide it in a closet. And we want to do our own thing. And sometimes that means twisting your word. Sometimes that means even misinterpreting your word to suit us so that we can make our decisions that, that we want to without listening to you. And we know, Lord, that often leads to despair. We know that often leads to sorrow. That often leads to pain. When we are not willing to listen and do what you want us to do. So Lord, I pray for all of us today that you would spare us that pain. That we won't be hypocrites in judging others before we judge ourselves. That we would rightly handle the word of truth without twisting it to suit our own agenda. That we would love as we are called to love. That we would come alongside our brothers and sisters in Christ this year and be intentional and be involved in their lives so that they could be involved in our lives, that we would receive even their admonition, that we'd be willing to be corrected so that we could live lives that would please you. Lord, that we would have an attitude of encouraging others, not being critical, not dominating them, but that we would encourage in a way that brings hope and joy, that we would point people to Jesus, who is our hope. And thank you, Lord, for that promise that you give us in 1 John. If we confess our sins, you are faithful and just to forgive our sins. And not just that, but to cleanse us also from all unrighteousness. So, Lord, we want to be people, Lord, who are right with each other, that are right with you. May we be sensitive to the Spirit as He leads us and guides us in knowing Your truth. So Lord, I pray that You would help us this year to be a people who are rightly reading the Scripture, rightly dividing the Scripture, and understanding it the way that You intended it to be understood. And not only that, that we would not just be the hearers who have all this knowledge, but that we would be the doers as well, who obey you as you have instructed us, Lord. So humble us, we pray, Lord, that you would receive all the glory from our decisions, from our lives, from our friendships, from our partnerships, from our faith family. You would receive all the glory and that we would receive the joy. We ask in Jesus' precious name. Amen.